Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include Part 1 of an interview with Brent Emler, Director of Sales at Lender Toolkit, and Kerry Rogers, the SVP of Strategic Planning at Lennar Mortgage, on building a modern mortgage workforce, and the latest labor market data. I'd like to thank this week's podcast sponsor, Lockton, the largest privately held global insurance broker, which focuses on property and casualty insurance and employee benefits insurance programs. Lockton has a specialized lender services group focused on quantifying and analyzing specific insurance needs to adequately minimize regulatory and balance sheet risks. They have a keen focus on firms within the mortgage banking arena specializing in errors and emissions, or ENO, fidelity bond, DNO, and cyber liability. Lockton acts as an extension of your firm's risk management team by procuring insurance policies and seeing claims through from start to finish, like a data breach or ENO claim. Today, 2021 12-02, the 2nd of December 2021, is a palindrome in the year, month, and day format. Just thought you should know. Declining revenue and increasing expenses are the norm for independent mortgage banks and mortgage subsidiaries of chartered banks. The MBA tallied up a sample of third-quarter results, which showed a net gain of $2,594 on each loan originated, up from $2,023 per loan in the second quarter. Net production profit was down more than half from the record profit one year ago. Per loan production expenses continued to rise for the fifth consecutive quarter, reaching the second highest level ever reported primarily due to rising sales costs. For the links to those stories, as well as the latest jobs and promotions, broker and lender products and services, and conforming conventional news, visit robchrisman.com. The mortgage industry is evolving quickly. New technology is enabling lenders to modernize their processes and workforce. For today's interview, I wanted to bring on Brent Emler, Director of Sales at Lender Toolkit, and Kerry Rogers, SVP of Strategic Planning at Lennar, to discuss how automation and task-based workflows are providing an environment for transformational change. Brent Emler is the Director of Sales at Lender Toolkit, a leading mortgage technology firm focused on digitizing and automating the mortgage manufacturing process. Brent is committed to providing solutions to business problems by promoting curiosity, innovation, and exploiting technology solutions. Working with many of the largest lenders in the country affords Brett and the team at Lender Toolkit the opportunity to deliver cutting-edge technology solutions. Kerry Rogers is the SVP of Strategic Planning at Lennar Mortgage. Kerry has extensive expertise in mortgage leadership, production, operations, technology, project implementation, management, LOS system architecture and design, process improvement, and workflow automation. Hey, Brent. Hi, Rob. How are you? Good. Hey, Carrie. Hey there. How are you guys doing? Good. Great. Really well. Today, I wanted to talk about building a modern mortgage workforce. And I wanted to start with you, Carrie. Why does sure. the mortgage industry need to modernize its workforce? So I think, Rob, the most important thing is that we are in a situation where we are bringing in new and experienced talent into our industry, mainly because we have a lack of resources and uh, employees available to staff our industry. So bringing in, in, in a new generation into our industry is really important, but it's very overwhelming for them, um, especially because we're so distributed now and how we work. We're bringing on, on, on new people who have never been able to experience working inside of a corporate structure in an actual office. 
we take a lot of those experiences for granted. So bringing in this new talent, it's really important to give them a mechanism to start to master and learn tasks, biting off smaller chunks versus trying to come in and look at an entire job role, you know, taking on processing, for example, it's a really large job role to, to, to just take over it from beginning to end and master it. It takes time and it takes a lot of guidance and mentorship to do that. And we, it's difficult to do that when many people are working from home permanently. So, you know, just being able to meet our customers' expectations, giving them a good customer experience. We want to make sure we have people who are enabled to have good voice skills and phone skills and focus on maybe that portion of their job versus maybe the back-end task processing of doing the dirty work in the back, right? And reviewing documents and things like that. So it really helps us set expectations for new people coming in the industry and current people in the industry to grow their careers and break it down into smaller chunks, master tasks instead of the entire job role, helps them excel faster, learn more, and it keeps us more productive. Brent, turning to you here, what are the improvements lenders can expect from modernizing their processes and workforce? Yeah, I really liked what Carrie had to say uh, about you know that specialization and and really bringing high value work to to employees. Uh, I think there's a, a huge employee satisfaction component to that as well, and and employee retention and and all of those things. But uh, as far as you know, how the technology enables uh, modernizing processes and workflows. You know, I've got a, a few points here. That I, I think, and I just mentioned that the high value time spent by employees. So let's take sales, for example. Um, you know, studies out there that say salespeople typically spend about 30% of their time selling. The other 70%, of course, is on the golf course, um, I just. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but no, really, millions of dollars are spent on, on point of sale, for example, to enable the consumers to self-serve the application. And so in concept, investing in, in point of sale technology, it makes a lot of sense because now your salespeople uh, have more time to, to call on realtors or whatever other uh, sales activities you want them to do. Uh, same with a, a well-implemented CRM. So as a salesperson, if my CRM is serving up exactly who I should reach out to and, and exactly why I should reach out to them, I can have more sales conversations. So why doesn't that same thing apply to operations, right? Uh, why do we have, for example, highly skilled and highly paid underwriters staring at credit reports, manually typing in conditions, reading appraisals, things like that? Let's have our underwriters doing high value work, like investing in quality time, uh, quality time working on uh, a deal to find the Fed or whatever the case may be. So really throughout the enterprise, providing the technology um, and that framework for um, the employees to be working on their high value work. Uh, and then that leads to less mistakes, right? So uh, we're, we're really, um, to Carrie's point, we're putting folks into especially newer uh, people that are newer to the industry, we're putting them in an, in a compromised position without having guardrails up for them to work with them. So really clear tasking on the things that they should uh, be doing. So uh, disclosures. So um, uh, recent recent uh, case study that we did, uh, we're talking to a lender and they lowered by by adding the disclosure automation product that we have, they lowered their cures by 65%. Right, so they're lowering the mistakes that that humans are are making in that process. Another another area is just that ability to scale. Um, you know, if you've got if you've got to add human resources, 
uh, including all the onboarding and training every time you add a large branch, for example, you know, how scalable is that? Um, and I think the industry really saw uh, over the last couple of years uh, the, the issues that, uh, you know, high kind of overwhelming volume caused. Uh, is there another industry out there that, that uh, over the last couple of years that was kind of complaining, not complaining, but, but uh, lamenting having too many new potential customers, too many new applications. Lenders were throttling their, their applications. Either that or they're keeping the fire hose on uh, full blast and then just you know, blasting their people with an over, overwhelming amount of work. So, you know, the technology and a specialized workforce, which, you know, Carrie can, can speak to eloquently, uh, really expand your capacity um, exponentially. Um, and then I think the last thing is that iterative process improvement. Um, so I think in the, in the mortgage industry, our, um, uh, our fallback position or, or the, the way we sort of run the, the operation is we just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, you know, I don't think that's the actual definition of insanity, but, but uh, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and, and expecting different results. But, but I think that's what we do in the industry. Uh, we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Why not use technology to identify gaps uh, the repetitive mistakes, and then put business controls and technology around that to uh, to eliminate those those mistakes. Uh, you know, last thing, a, a quick example: if you get a, a post closing condition, wouldn't it be nice to have an underwriting system that allows you to fix that once and for all, instead of always scrambling to to fix it in post close? So, I think that iterative process improvement is enabled by technology as well. Following up on that slightly, whether the improvement is less mistakes, the ability to scale, or as you just said, iterative process improvement. How does technology actually enable these changes, Brent? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, user experiences, um, providing user experiences that have really clearly defined uh, guardrails. You know, these are the things you can do and these are the things you can't do. Um, And giving that dynamic feedback, you know, to that user, I think is really important. Um, it, it creates a kind of a, a standardized flow of activities. Um, and I think Carrie can really speak well to that in terms of the task-based workflow um, work that we've done with, uh, with Lennar. Um, you know, they've done a great job of identifying all of the tasks that are required to, to complete a, a job. Um, and being able to have multiple people working on that at the same time, I think is enabled by providing uh, really clear experiences for the workers, uh, plenty of visibility, um, not just for the workers, but also for management um, so that they can look at the process, they can look at the activities, they can look at the results and then make adjustments from there. So visibility is a, a really key component of, of uh, you know, where technology enables um, improvements in your processes. Uh, and it really just kind of sy- systematizes your processes instead of you know, everybody, it, it kind of feels like everybody's winging it uh, constantly uh, when, when we're, we're manufacturing alone. So I think those are the, the key things is, is just, uh, you know, providing a, a great user experience, a great workflow, and then uh, the visibility, measurement, and transparency. So Carrie, when, when technology is implemented or when we're talking about building this modern workforce, what are the challenges lenders can expect to encounter? So I think this is a, a large topic to discuss. It could take us a while here, but I'm going to try to keep it simple because 
I think this question is what makes everybody take pause, right? Before implementing and automating and committing to a new vendor or a new, you know, particular type of technology. Because if you can't find a way to implement it successfully and get full adoption, then you might be spending a lot of time and money on, you know, and resources and technology to build something that could have potentially great value. But without that adoption, it's you're never going to be able to realize that return on your investment. So I think that we have to really accept and acknowledge that our workforce has an like I just a, you know an ingrained resistance to change that is natural and that's human nature, and especially in our in our industry. I mean, many of us have been in this industry for thirty plus years, and when you think about how we do what we do, just you know simply. Like we still have our loan officers and processors and underwriters. And that's exactly how it's been since I was a 14 year old working in my mom's office in the 1982. I don't even know what year, like a long time ago, really no different, right? We just, instead of having a typewriter or, you know, an old DOS system to type your, your info into, we have great, nice user interfaces to use, but the fundamental workflow has not changed. So like we have to be able to disrupt and really push the envelope on, on, on how we sort of reimagine our industry. But with that, the, it's really important to deal with the resistance to change because it's a top-down approach. Our, our leaders, our sponsors of projects, they have to fully, fully understand why we're doing something. What are we going to get out of it? What's that return on investment? They have to feel confident about the solution so they can talk to it, to their teams to their mid-level managers and they can they can deliver that message they can build the awareness they can build the desire for people to want to accept this new change or be part of this new innovation in our industry so i think if if our if our leaders leaders in general can really just get you know immersed in what it is that we're doing they don't need to know every detail but they need to feel confident about why we're doing it and what we're doing and what is the end result going to be and then making sure that we take that message and we tailor that message downstream to every level of our employees, right? So it's the WIFM. What's in it for me? What is the processor going to get out of it? How is it going to change their role? How is it going to help them as an individual grow in their career? We, it's not just about the company and our profitability. It's about the industry. It's about the individual people. We have to really establish the why. That's the bottom line. If we do that, and if that messaging is coming from confident leaders and confident managers, then it becomes sort of like, we're all jumping on the train and we're going to do it together and it's going to be awesome. But if everybody's still standing at the station and there's only four of us on the train, it's not going to be that great. So staying on track when it's hard and having, having tools and mechanisms to deal with, you know, anybody who's not adopting, who, anybody who's not on board. There's a lot of different techniques and tactics out there that can be leveraged. I highly recommend change management uh, methodologies and, and training. I've been through a couple, I've been through the Harvard one. I've, I'm a pro side practitioner. There's so many great tools out there that just simplify how we deal with change management in our industry. 
you know, I think our uh, frontline associates, our employees out there working on the front lines, they're so overwhelmed with just getting the work done and dealing with the volume. They just like can't even think about or be bothered with what's coming and what's new. But if we clearly show them we're there to make their life easier and here's exactly why and how we're going to make their life easier, it's going to be much easier to get them to pause and think about it and be willing to try something new. The other key is finding good technology partners. Um, I don't think anybody can do it alone, whether it's a partner to augment your staff or help you solution a difficult problem. And, and, and Brent talked about, about this a little bit earlier. You know, we, we have committed to and taken on really driving a task-based workflow um, and being able to eventually, you know, using data and using actual actions from other tasks and a lot of just good mechanisms of of transparency and management really drive the type of task-based workflow that we can bring we can bring people in and teach them individual tasks that they can master so we can have the highly skilled employees focus on the meaningful not the meaningless and that's what we need to sell to everyone out there we want you working on meaningful tasks, things that make you use your skills that you've worked so hard to gain and not like Brent said, said earlier, you know, stare and compare and, and clicking buttons and, and doing things that just don't provide value to your day. So I think there's a lot of work to be done in that area in general, but it is possible. And you just have to have everybody on the same page with how you're going to approach the change how you're going to deal with the resistance and making sure that the messaging is really specific down, you know, down the ladder for each individual, because they're going to talk to each other. They're going to go to their, their immediate managers. We want to make sure everybody has the same messaging. Join us for part two of the interview tomorrow. Yesterday's bond market's actions saw more talk about the new strain of the coronavirus and reaction to Fed Chairman Powell's hawkish comments in front of Congress. In addition to the shutdown risk from the Omicron variant, investors are still trying to sort through the Fed's new reactive nature, as many believe communication and policy responses have lagged realities. Powell said this week that it is time to retire the word transitory to describe inflation. The Fed is expected to make a decision regarding a faster tapering at the mid-December FOMC meeting which will be largely determined by the severity of Omicron. The catch-up process may destabilize markets and the economy. Fed funds futures are now pricing in three hikes in 2022, with the first one expected at the June meeting. The market received the December Fed Beige Book yesterday, which described overall economic growth as modest to moderate, with several districts reporting continued supply chain delays and labor shortages. We also saw ADP estimate that there were 534,000 jobs added in November which is what expectations are for in tomorrow's jobs report. Job gains have eclipsed 15 million since the recovery began, though remain 5 million short of pre-pandemic levels. The November ISM Manufacturing Index beat expectations, ticking up slightly in October and marking the 18th straight month of expansion for the manufacturing sector despite supply chain, transportation, and labor constraints. Total construction spending increased 0.2% month over month in October, missing expectations due to a decline seen in new single-family and multifamily construction. That is most likely the consequence of ongoing supply chain pressures, labor constraints, and higher costs for builders that are standing in the way of building more affordable homes. Ahead of tomorrow's payrolls report, we've received some more labor market data today in the form of U.S.-based employer job cuts for November from Challenger, plummeting nearly 35% in November, 
to 14,875 from the 22,822 announced in October, the lowest monthly total since May 1993. Good news. Later this morning brings Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey and more Fed speakers in the form of Atlanta's Bostitch, Fed Governor Quarles, San Francisco's Daily, and Richmond's Barkin. The desk will purchase conventional MBS for up to $4.4 billion in addition to $1.1 billion, seven and a half year to 30 year tips. We begin the day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged from Wednesday night and the 10 year yielding 1.44 after closing yesterday at 1.43%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. According to the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, while both male and female reindeer grow antlers in the summer each year, Male reindeer drop their antlers at the beginning of winter, usually late November to mid-December. Female reindeer, however, retain their antlers until after they give birth in the spring. Therefore, according to every historical rendition depicting Santa's reindeer, every single one of them, from Rudolph to Blitzen, has to be female. We should have known this. Only a woman would be able to drag a fat man in a red velvet suit all around the world in one night and not get lost. If you're looking for proactive guidance and unique strategies to stay compliant while also reducing your firm's total cost of risk related to insurance, please contact LockedIn's Lender Services Group at lenderservices at lockedin.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the Daily Mortgage News Commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.